see you uh, uh, continuing our Lent series this morning, Simply Jesus. Um, you may be new this morning, others will be tracking through. So have you been enjoying it? I've been loving it. You know, so we should in a church, focusing on Jesus. It should be what we're about. Um, but just really um, enjoying this series. So just to recap, we, we've looked at Jesus of history, Jesus as God's son, Jesus our healer, our teacher, and our friend. Um, and there's just been a whole lot of very encouraging things across our church community. There have been a lot of people healed physically, a lot of people. I've got lists of people that have received physical healing over the last four or five weeks. Um, I've got 30-plus stories of people who have come to faith in the last month, which is just fabulous. Um, and then I, I asked, um, so I asked Dave, who leads our kids' work, I said, Dave, any encouragements? And he said the kids have really enjoyed collecting collectible cards. They've had a card each week as they've gone through the series. And then he said this, on Jesus Our Teacher Week, even before we started sharing the story, in worship, one of the children, this is a 10-year-old girl, had a picture of her surrounded by a group of other children, like a teacher. She then spoke to the team about it, what it could mean, and they asked the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told this girl that she was supposed to be a teacher and leader of other children. Uh, And so the team were able to pray for her and bless that calling of God over her life. And then the girl said, I would like to join a young vineyard team. And so she is now, a 10-year-old girl, going to be joining her mom, teaching six- or seven-year-old children about Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? If you're not yet on a team, I hope you're struck by that child's example. hope you're struck by that. I spoke to Gavin, who oversees um, youth. Um, he, what he told me, they've, they've just had some leaders really stepping up in this season. Um, and they've had, on a Friday night, 15 to 20 young people coming out every Friday night to learn about Jesus. That's crazy. That's crazy. And on the, on the Sundays, Gav said the highlight for him and for the group was, was talking about Jesus of history. That really connected with young people in the culture um, in which they live. Um, There's also a young adults group, and a couple of the people in that got healed from hip pain just during one of their sessions. Um, And then I I chatted with Rob um, in terms of what's going on in small groups. Um, Over this season, there have been 16 new groups running, which which is fabulous. Some of them have with two or three people in it. That is wonderful. Um, Others have gathered 8, 10, 12 people. I know one group, they had 17 people pitch up on the first week, uh, multiplied into two new groups, which has just released some other uh, leaders um, to serve. And so what I wanted to say this morning is if you've started going to a small group as part of this series, now is a great time to decide to carry on with that. So talk to the leaders of the group or the people that are hosting your group. But would you make a decision to carry on that journey um, this morning? Okay, what we're looking at this morning is Jesus, our reconciler. Most of you, if you're employed, you'll have a job contract that has a clause in it that says anything else, any other duties. I've got one of those. One of the things I didn't know about my job when I started, but I know now, is I have regular interactions with our trustee team, with our bookkeepers, and with accountants. I didn't know that. I do now know that. Regular interactions. One thing I have never heard an accountant say is this. That's near enough. (laughs) I've, I've never heard them say that. You know, that will do. Accountants reconcile. They balance the books. 
The big things, the little things, the income, the expenditure, the bank statements, everything is reconciled, balanced every month. And if things don't balance, they want to find out why. And they are not happy until they know. They're not happy. They want things to be restored. They want balance to be restored. And that idea of restoration is at the heart of reconciliation. If you think about a relationship that has got broken in some way, we talk about the need for reconciliation. Recent history, South Africa post-apartheid, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, part of that process. Reconciliation has been described this way, the restoration of friendly relations. It's about restoration. And that restoration, that reconciliation is at the heart of the big story of God that you see in the Bible. In the beginning, God created a beautiful world and gave us responsibility for looking after it. God created Adam and Eve. They lived in peace with God like perfect friends, perfect balance. Genesis chapter 3, everything gets shattered by sin when humanity decided to go their own way. That was not God's fault in my view. It was humanity's fault. It was our fault. And we rebelled and relationship got broken. And part of the language that the Bible writers use to describe the situation that we now find ourselves in, they say that we are in debt. And it's a debt that we can't pay. But that is the language of accountancy. The Apostle Paul uses even stronger language in Romans chapter 5. He writes that we are now, in fact, God's enemies. Now, it's really important we don't misunderstand that. It does not mean that God doesn't love us. It just means that when we go our own way, way, we have set ourselves in opposition to God, like enemies. God continues to love us. Good news this morning. I've got a lot of good news to share with us this morning. God never gives up on us. Even when we oppose ourselves to him, he never gives up on us. He longs for friendly relations to be restored with all of us. And I know many of you here know that already. And I hope you're rejoicing in that, particularly as we head towards Easter. But others may be here this morning and you've not come into a relationship with Jesus yet. There is good news this morning. I'm delighted that you're here and I hope that what we talk about is helpful to you today. If you have a Bible, could you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? We're going to talk about Jesus, our reconciler. So we're going to read, I'm going to read a few verses from 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to share some thoughts, um, and then we'll uh, lead into communion this morning. I'm going to read from verse 17 of chapter 5. Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. 
For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I'm sure this never happened to you, but one or two of you, did you ever get into an argument in the playground? Never. I, I knew it wouldn't apply to you. But just imagine, you know, a friend of you, an argument in the playground. You know, that, you know, the teacher pulls two kids apart and then invites them to apologize to each other. And what normally happens then is go something like this. But they started it. And there is no way I'm going to say sorry because they started it. And, you know, before we think it's just kids, adults behave in exactly the same ways. When we've been wronged, we want the other person to make the first move. We want them to make the first move. More good news for us this morning. God is not like that. We've offended him. But who is the one who initiates reconciliation? The answer when a pastor asks the question is 95% of the time, Jesus. Who initiates reconciliation? Jesus does. Did you see that? Verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God initiates. Jesus told this story about a hundred sheep, and one of them got lost. And so the shepherd was a bit concerned for that one sheep, but what he did is he waited around for the sheep to pick up his mobile phone and to release a distress flare, and to, you know, kind of trigger a GPS tracker. No. Who initiated the rescue? The shepherd, Jesus, went out and found the lost sheep. God loves us so much that he is the one who initiates reconciliation. So think back to that playground argument, or to any kind of broken relationship. Reconciliation is not easy. If you think of unfaithfulness in a marriage, but you have a husband and wife and they say, you know what, this has been really difficult, really challenging, trust has been broken, but we made a commitment to one another. And we are going to work through this. We're going to honor the vows that we made. But if you talk to people in that situation, you will know that reconciliation is not easy. It comes with a cost. It comes with a sacrificial cost of forgiveness, of changing boundaries. It takes time to restore trust when relationship is broken. Reconciliation always comes with a cost. Now, the problem that I believe that we have in our relationship with God is that we keep messing up, or at least I do. Keep messing up. And so the cost of the reconciliation just keeps stacking up. And in fact, my view is, and I concur with the Bible, it's a cost that gets way too high and becomes way too frequent, and I cannot pay it. Even more good news for us this morning. Because God loves us, Jesus pays the cost for our reconciliation. Jesus pays the cost. Read verse 21 again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
That is extraordinary good news. That is what we might call the great exchange. And I'm going to try and illustrate that for us this morning. Here is a delightful piece of clothing that I have prepared. This is spiritually what I'm like without Jesus. Bit messed up. Very messed up. Dirty, full of holes, broken. This is the state of my life. I don't feel good in myself. That's what shame and guilt does. I don't feel that presentable to you. And I certainly don't feel that presentable or acceptable to God. I feel really messy. You see, God is holy. All I've got is holes. I'm not, I'm not in a good place here. But the thing that I know now, because I know Jesus, is that in faith, I can come to Jesus and to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I come to his cross in faith, and I confess my mess. I confess my sin. And I repent. That means I make a decision that I'm going to turn around. And so I come to Jesus, and he who was without sin became sin for me. And so I give this to him. Now I'm sort of like this. And that's good, but the Bible has more good news for us. Because it says that we become the righteousness of Christ. Theologically, this is justification. That we're forgiven of our sin, but I now get some new clothes. That I've exchanged my filthy rags for the righteousness of Christ. And this reminds me of my former life in a science lab. I've now become a scientist again. But I am now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm changed. I now know that I can stand before God and before you and before all of God's creation as a new creation. Now, you may be here this morning and you've not heard that news before. I'm hoping there's something in you that says there's hope. There's life for me. And if you are here this morning and you've already said yes to Jesus, I hope there is something in you that is starting to say, thank you, Jesus. And if there's not, could you just check that you have a pulse? There should be something in all of us when we hear the language of the great exchange. Him who with, without sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. There should be something in us that says, thank you, Jesus. Simply Jesus. Does that help? My dressing up. There's a great exchange. That is at the heart of the Easter story. You see, my life without Jesus is messy and broken. But the good news is that in Jesus, everything changes. And the good news doesn't even end there. Because Jesus is our reconciler, he gives our lives divine purpose. Did you notice that when G, when, throughout this passage, when Paul was talking about the way that God initiates reconciliation, it then came with a second part, a consequence, a purpose. So verse 18, what it goes on to say is that, that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, Paul writes, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Third thing I want to share this morning is that in Christ, we are called to be reconcilers. Those who have been reconciled are called to be reconcilers. And so if you've said yes to Jesus, you've got a job to do. 
If you've not yet said yes to Jesus, God has incredible divine purpose for your life. He wants you and I to bring restoration and reconciliation into a broken world. And so Jesus sends, out, sends us out with this message. Be reconciled to God. Now, this week in the small group video, the, small, the Simply Jesus small group video, we're going to dig into this some more. We're going to unpack the immense privilege of being a royal representative of King Jesus, of being an ambassador. And so this is very much at the heart of our vision as a church. Our vision as a church, we summarize it this way, worship God, love others, be Jesus in the world. And that last phrase, be Jesus in the world, talks about being a royal representative, about being an ambassador, a messenger, someone sent out to bring reconciliation into our world. So that raises the question, is there anything broken in the world around you? Can you think of anything that is broken? Can you think of anyone that you know who has some trouble in their relationship, whose marriage is struggling? Do you know anybody that has any hassle at work? Do you know of any situations where there is a, a, an argument in a neighborhood? You know, maybe someone has grown a tall hedge or put a fence up where they shouldn't have put it up. There, you know, there is some, um, you know, kind of argument that is going on locally. Can you think of anything that is going on in the political world of the United Kingdom where there might be any kind of tiny amount of disagreement between people. Nothing's coming to mind, is it? Okay, I need to work this point harder. Can you think of any issue right now where people might be holding differences of political opinion? Anything at all? Anything where people might not be seeing eye to eye right now? And no, nothing. Anyway, if something crops up in the political life of the United Kingdom that sounds like this, I'm going to give you some top tips of what to do. I want you to imagine that you're walking towards a fire and you're holding two buckets. One of them is filled with petrol and the other one is filled with water. We each have a choice as to which bucket we use. You're going to pour petrol on the fire or you're going to pour water on the fire. We each have a choice. Will we inflame a situation or will we work to bring reconciliation and peace? The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, tweeted this out last week. He said, reconciliation is less about agreeing than about finding how to disagree well. That is very wise. Apply water to a fire. Be a reconciler. We are called to bring reconciliation. And Paul tells us in this chapter of the Bible what our motivation should be for being a reconciler. We need to go back just a couple of verses earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll come to verses 14 and 15 and Paul writes this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So Paul says it is Christ's love that compels us because Jesus has reconciled us back to God. On that basis, be a reconciler. 
And then Paul unpacks that thought a little bit more. He says that because one died for all, and that one being Jesus Christ, he says, he died in my place. And so spiritually, we died with him. But we are now brought to life again. We are born again into new life in Christ. And so Paul says, because of that, because Jesus has died for us, and so effectively we died with him, but are now brought into life, he says this in verse 15, we should no longer live for ourselves. That's the consequence of giving our lives to Jesus. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. What does that mean? What it means is that when we say yes to Jesus, we give the whole of our lives to him. Body, mind, spirit, money, time, everything to Jesus. Everything now belongs to him. That is what Paul is writing to us about. What it means is that my agenda needs to die so that his agenda comes to life. It means that my desires need to die so that his desires come to life. It means that my hopes and dreams need to die so that his hopes and dreams come alive. So when is a good time to give everything to Jesus? When is a good time to say yes to him? to give him the entirety of our lives? When is a good time to surrender our lives to Jesus? Whether you're a follower of Christ or not yet a follower of Christ, when is a good time to give him everything? Well, Paul tells us, the last verse that we read, verse 2 of chapter 6, he says this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You've heard me say this before, and this is why. The best time to say yes is always now. The best time to surrender our lives to Jesus is always now. And so I would love to pray a prayer for all of us, wherever we are in a spiritual journey, that that just echoes what Paul writes to us, of living our lives on the basis that we don't own ourselves anymore, that we have given ourselves to Christ. So should we just pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are our reconciler. That you initiated reconciliation, that you came to find us. Jesus, thank you that you were prepared to pay the cost that reconciliation requires. Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace and your extravagant love. Jesus, thank you that even though you had no sin, you were prepared to become sin for us. That you set up this great exchange at the cross. Jesus, thank you that You died for me. And so, Jesus, I choose to include myself with you. Dying to my own stuff and coming alive to your life. 
And so, Jesus, I want to pray for grace for myself, but also for every person here. Grace to surrender ourselves completely to you. Lord, I pray that we would all know that our time is no longer our own, that our resources are no longer our own. Our bodies, our hearts, our minds are no longer our own. We've been bought at a price. And Lord, we now belong to you. And so, Lord, we willingly surrender ourselves to you. And Lord, I want to pray that for every one of us, you would give us the grace to live that out. To radically live that out. And I want to pray just a very short prayer for, for anyone here today who hasn't yet said yes to Jesus, but you're hearing hope this morning. You're, you're hearing about the one who loves you. You're hearing about the one who, who would leave 99 sheep to go and find a lost one. You're, you're hearing about the one who would replace the mess of our lives with eternal hope. So let me just pray a short prayer that you can make your own this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me that you were prepared to die for me. And so, Jesus, I'm sorry that it, it took that because I choose to go my own way. And Jesus, I come to you this morning. I, I, I recognize what you did on the cross for me, that you took my filthy rags, you took my mess, and they died with you. And you brought me to wonderful new life, and you offer that to me. And so, Jesus, I say yes to that this morning. I take hold of that. I take hold of your forgiveness, and I take hold of wonderful eternal life. And, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to follow Jesus for the rest of my days. In his precious name. Amen. If you've prayed that this morning, just while we've got our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've prayed that this morning for the first time, could you just take a look up, catch my eye, uh, I'd love to just uh, uh, continue conversation to, to help point you in some great directions at the end of our service this morning. So if you've prayed that, just, just, just look up at me as I look around. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Let's all re-engage, as it were. Getting close to lunchtime. We're going to um, share communion together very much as a response to what we've been thinking about this morning because reconciliation is at the heart of uh, the communion um, celebration that we're going to share in um, this morning. So, Kate and the team, do you want to come on back as well while we're um, just getting ready? Let me just read a couple of verses. This is from Luke's Gospel. And this is how he records the Last Supper, that last meal when Jesus... Um, sat down with his closest friends on the night before he died on the cross. And he, and he writes this, And Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples, and he would also say to us as well, is that we're told to remember what he has done. 
Now, remember means to recall, to bring back to mind, and that's certainly at the heart of communion, that we recall what Jesus has done for us. We recall uh, this enacted Passover meal that Jesus gives, you know, new depth and meaning to. And we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. But to remember literally means to bring back together again. It is the opposite of dismember. Dismember is to break apart. Remember or remember is literally to bring back together again. And that is just such a beautiful thing as we think about reconciliation. Because in, in this act where Jesus takes a piece of bread and it is broken, that, that is the dismembering part. We remember Jesus' body broken for us. But Jesus also says that we are to remember. So not only are we to recall what he has done, but we are to remember that we have been reconciled. We have been brought back together. Spiritually, I'm now back together again because of what Jesus has done. Spiritually, I'm now brought back together, not only with God, but with creation and with people like you and me. We are reconciled. We are remembered because of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus took a cup of wine, probably some beautiful Israeli red. This is grape juice, but it's still symbolic, isn't it? Because it's blood-colored, and it reminds us of the shared blood of Jesus Christ. And it points again, doesn't it, to, the, to this reality that reconciliation has a cost. It's not free. Grace is free, but it comes with a cost. And it costs Jesus his shared blood. 